Some of you will turn with me to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. If you did not bring a Bible with you this morning, there's one somewhere in one of the seats in front of you. I'm not on, am I? Hang on. I will be. What about now? Good. When you glance up from the pulpit and the guys in the very back at the sound booth are staring at you like, (laughs) you got to figure something's wrong. The only reason I say that is because I know this isn't the first time they ever saw this face. A lot of people do it when they see it the first time. Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Wow. That's an appropriate verse, isn't it? Especially with things going on in the Gaza Strip these past three weeks. Hamas declaring that they're going to drive Israel into the sea and destroy them. But that's not the focus of the message. Paul says, For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness, and going about to to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. Say not in thine heart, who shall ascend into heaven? That is, to bring Christ down from above. Or, who shall ascend into the deep? That is, to bring up Christ again from the dead. For what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is, the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. The same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. For they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, surely their sound went into all the earth, and their words unto the ends of the world. 
But I say, did not, Moses, did not Israel know? First Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people, and by a foolish nation I will anger you. But Isaiah is very bold and saith, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not of me. But Israel, he saith, all day long have I stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. Pause there in our reading. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, as we look at the Word of God this morning, I ask that you would make Romans chapter 10 very clear to us. Help us to see exactly what it is the Apostle Paul and your Holy Spirit through him is trying to tell us. The Lord, you know how desperately the world needs Jesus. You know how desperately the world needs a faith that will sustain us. And we thank you for your word, which gives us that. Bless the service this morning. Speak to our hearts. Bless the children's church downstairs, dear Lord, and, and honor your word there. We praise you and thank you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. We want to look this morning at the, at the not the idea, the doctrine of salvation. It's all laid out here in Romans chapter 10. Of course, there are a number of other places that talk about it. This morning in our Sunday school class, we were talking about the essentials for Baptist churches. What are the Baptist distinctives? And we discussed, first of all, that the number one thing about Baptist is we, we have a regenerate membership. New word, regenerate. It simply means people in a Baptist church are saved. Are all people in a Baptist church saved? No, but everybody who's a member of a Baptist church is supposed to be saved. They have given testimony of the fact that they have trusted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Regenerate membership. And because that is a, the, the first of the distinctives of Baptist, uh, we want to take a look at it this morning, not just in Sunday school, but here in this service. The last of the distinctives, the fifth of the distinctives for Baptist is eternal security. What in the world does that mean? That means once a person is born of the Spirit, they can't be unborn. Once they're saved, they're always saved. And I have several uh, friends who don't believe that. They're not members of Baptist churches, but they don't believe that. And so my question to them is, why do you not believe that if a person is born, then they can be unborn? And they say, well, 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 I don't know about that. And so I say, I think the problem that you have is not once saved, always saved. You're seeing too many so-called Christians who are never saved and think they're saved. That sometimes is the problem. Because if a person's born again, they're going to do several things that Christians like to do. Number one, they're going to want to be with other Christians. Number two, they're going to want to read and study the Word of God, draw closer to Him. They're going to walk, want to walk with Him daily. Going to want to support His work and invest in their future. You say, what do you mean? I mean, long-term investing, like a thousand years down the road. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. And so, those are some things about Baptists that 
that we discussed this morning and we'll be discussing in future Sunday school classes because uh, I didn't get near finished with the lesson. <laughs> but uh, at any rate, we want to look this morning at, the, at the, the doctrine of salvation. What is the means of salvation? The means of salvation. What do you mean by that, Brother Casey? I mean, how does a person get saved? Well, Romans chapter 10, verses 9, 10, and 13 tell us exactly how to get saved. It says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Verse 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's pretty simple. Well, what do you mean to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord? Well means just admit that He is who He says He is. He is God. He is the sent one from heaven, the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ. He's God. And then, to believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, that indicates that you believe the gospel. gospel is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4, which says that... that, uh, uh, and this is the gospel by which you're saved, unless you believe in vain. How that Christ died for our sins. I had to run through it before I could get there. How that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And that He was buried. And that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Now, He died when it was impossible for Him to die. What? Yeah, what causes death? Romans chapter three, Romans chapter six tells us what causes death. Sin. The wages of sin is death. Jesus never sinned. He was not born in sin. He was not born of a human father. He was born of a heavenly father, and so he was born without sin. Now, I was born a sinner because my dad was a sinner. I mean, I'm not into uh, Freudian psychology, but I do believe that you can blame stuff stuff on your parents. The fact that I'm a sinner is because my dad was a sinner. And, and, and actually, it wasn't his fault because his dad was a sinner. And it wasn't his fault because his dad was a sinner. And you just keep tracing it all the way back to Adam, who was not a sinner until he took of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil and ate of it in, in disobedience to God's Word. But Jesus wasn't born in sin. He never sinned. He would have been an ideal child to raise. Don't you know? Oh, man. You speak to him and say, "Uh, Jesus, time for bed. Yes, ma'am. And he hops in bed. Jesus, I want you to go with me today to the market. Yes, sir. And he goes with you to the market. You say, Jesus, pick up your toys. And he picks up his toys. Whoa. And then to have been his little brothers or his little sisters. Oh, what agony. I mean, you go to class and your teacher says, why can't you be like your little brother, like your older brother Jesus? You know, your brother Jesus didn't have any trouble with science. Well, duh. <laughs> he's the creator. He didn't have any trouble with math. Well, he's the one who thought it up. He's the one who said two plus two is four and it was so. 
He's the one who said, let there be light. And there was light. <laughs> wow. Jesus never sinned. And yet they took him to the cross of Calvary, nailed him to that cross, and he should still be hanging there today because he never sinned. But the Scripture says Christ died according to the Scriptures. You say, oh, you left out part of it, Brother Casey. Yes, I did. Because I want to emphasize it. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Jesus never sinned, but all of us did. And He went to the cross of Calvary and took in His own body our sin. Not just the, the guilt of sin, but the consequences of sin. Oh, so many times I have tried to imagine what it would be like for a mouth that had never said an ugly word to suddenly be filled with all of the cursing that people have said, spoken. I'm a mind that had never thought an ugly thought suddenly jammed with all the filth of the generations since Adam and Eve sinned. A body that had never been sick experiencing the pain and the penalty of sin. It killed him. It killed him. Most people would hang on the cross three, sometimes four days in agony. Jesus died within six hours because of the effects of our sin in His body. So when we talk about the means of salvation, there's belief and confession. Belief that Christ died for my sins according to Scripture and that He was buried and God raised Him from the dead three days later to stamp paid on my sin debt and on your sin debt. That's incredible. And then he offers me eternal life. Eternal life. Life with him forever. People say, Brother Casey, do you think we're going to be in heaven forever? No, I know we're not. What? No, Jesus is coming back to this earth after seven years, and I'm coming with him. Revelation chapter 18 19 uh, discusses that. And then we're going to live with Him here on the earth for a thousand years and this city is going to come down from God out of heaven 1,500 miles square. A cube or a pyramid. I assume it's a cube. 1,500 miles. And it's the city for the bride of Christ, for those who have received Jesus Christ as personal Savior. Let me describe it to you. It has walls that stretch up farther than you can see. 1,500 miles into the stratosphere. And there's three gates on each side. And each gate is made of pearl. Wow. Why would... God used pearls for the gates of the city. 
I think it's because He wants to remind us of how pearls are made. How do you make a pearl? Well, I don't. Oysters make pearls. In order for a pearl to be made, there has to be something that irritates them, that gets into the shell. Perhaps a tiny piece of sand. Or something that's not natural for an oyster. And that oyster, due to the irritation, begins to coat that thing. And it coats it and coats it and coats it and coats it until the thing is no longer an irritant, but it becomes a thing of great value. And the reason God puts pearls on the gates to the city is because our sin is an irritant to a holy God. And so He sends Jesus Christ to this earth to pay the penalty of our sin and He coats our sin with His blood so that we then can enter in to the holy city. The streets are of gold. The foundations of the wall and the buildings in the city are of precious jewels. The buildings are of gold, pure transparent gold. There's a river that flows out from under the throne of God. It has fruit trees on each side of the river. And they bear a different fruit each month of the year. And there's no sun. No need of a sun. No moon. You don't see the stars inside this city. Why not? Because Jesus Christ and God the Father are there. And Christ is the light. He is the light. Wow. How incredible. To be able to live there with Jesus forever. You say, what if Jesus goes somewhere else? I'm going with Him. Wherever He goes. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17, So shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. That's a comfort to me. I'm never going to be separated from my wife. Never going to be separated from my mom and dad. Never going to be separated from from my friends and family and loved ones that have trusted Jesus Christ as personal Savior. And best of all, I'm never going to be separated from Jesus. The means of salvation is belief and confession requires both the head and the heart. It's simple. It's simple. What do you mean it's simple, Brother Casey? I mean, God has already done everything that needs to be done in order for people to be saved. Now He simply offers us the opportunity to respond to His invitation to accept eternal life, to accept forgiveness of sin, to accept His Son as their Lord and Savior. And when we do that, when I did it, tell you exactly what happened. He gave me the gift of eternal life. He forgave me. I like what Austin said the night he called me, told me he got saved, and I talk about it all the time just because I love it so much. He said, Grandpa, guess what? I said, what? He said, I got saved. I said, where? He said, Taco Bell. I said, how would you get saved? He said, well, 
I asked Jesus to come into my heart and save me, and, and, and he did it. He did it. That's pretty impressive. I wish everybody had that same confidence. When you ask him, he's going to do it. Jesus said, he that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. So anybody who wants to get saved can get saved. Secondly, that's in verses 9 through 13. In verses 14 and 15, he talks about the method. There's the means of salvation, then there's the method of salvation. What's the method of, what's the method of salvation? Number one, you have to believe. How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? Oh, you've got to believe. That's what he said. Believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Believe the gospel. For that you need to believe you're a sinner. Only sinners need to be saved. People never have sinned apparently don't need to be saved. The problem is we have all sinned. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so, we must believe. But how shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? So it requires hearing, and then it requires believing, and then it requires the preaching of the gospel. The preaching of the gospel. How shall they preach? Except they be sent. Well, that's kind of interesting because everyone who has heard the gospel and received it and accepted it are under the same command that Jesus gave to the disciples in Mark chapter 16, verse 15. And that verse says, As you are going into all the world, you say, Brother Casey, that's not what the King James says. I know the King James says, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. But the Greek verb there, the tense of that verb is, As you are going into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. So each of us have the command to share the gospel. That's the opportunity that we have. The opportunity to share with others what's been freely given to us. You see, there's enough love of God for everybody to get saved. Not everybody will. But everybody can. Verses 16 and 17 talk about the problem. The mistakes about salvation. First of all, verse 16, they have not all obeyed the gospel for Isaiah saith, Isaiah 53, 1, Lord, who hath believed our report? Who hath believed our report? Not everybody has believed the gospel. But it's available to everybody. They have not all obeyed the gospel. Obedience and belief. Necessary. I like what verse 17 says. So then faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the Word of God. The more I read the Word of God, the more I hear the Word of God, the more I I meditate on the Word of God, the more confident I am that God always does exactly what He says. God always keeps His promise. 
Sometimes people will tell you stuff and you know they're not going to do it. When people say, oh, Brother Casey, I'll be in church next Sunday. I always write it on the maybe list. Okay? There are some people who, if they, if they tell me they're going to come, they'll be there. So I put them in the yes list. Okay? Other people are honest enough to say, Brother Casey, I'm sorry, we've got to be out of town or we're going to be somewhere else or, or we don't want to come or whatever. I put them in the no list. But the list for the maybes is much, much longer. People don't keep the word. But God always keeps his word. God always keeps his word. He will save to the uttermost him that cometh to God through Jesus. Well, God is very patient. And there are some here this morning, perhaps, that have heard the gospel a number of times and never received it, never accepted it, didn't, perhaps didn't really understand it. But God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, Peter wrote. God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's what God wants. It's God's will for everybody to be saved. It's God's will. But He leaves the choice to us. We get to choose. A man told me one time, he said, Brother Casey, I can't believe a loving God would send somebody to hell. And the Holy Spirit gave me the answer just like that. You know, I'm not smart enough to think of this stuff on my own. The Holy Spirit gave me the answer and I said, Well, truth is, a loving God wouldn't make you go to heaven if you didn't like Him. He's not going to ask you to live with Him forever if you don't even like Him. God doesn't send anybody to hell. He offers you the opportunity to go to heaven and if you turn it down, you have decided for yourself where you're going. That's pretty plain, pretty simple. And that's the message for this morning. The truth of the gospel. There you have it. What you do with it is your business. Your business. But I want you to know there's folks in this church that have been praying for you. Some of you have been praying for for a long, long time. So we stand quietly to our feet with our heads bowed and eyes closed. Just a moment, Miss Morgan's going to begin to play just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. O Lamb of God, I come. And as she begins to play, the invitation will be open to you. The invitation is this. If you would like to come and receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I invite you to step out. We'll take the Word of God and show you how you can be saved. If you've already been saved and you have not yet followed the Lord and believers' baptism, then you need to come and say, I'm willing to follow Jesus. I'm willing to follow Jesus. And that's the very first step.
could be that you've been attending here and the Holy Spirit has indicated that this is where He wants your membership. I would invite you to come. We'll share with you how we receive members. It's really pretty simple. Father, I pray in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that your will would be done in this invitation. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, for his sake. Amen.